Welcome to Meet the Filmmakers at the Apple Store Regent Street in London. Would you please welcome our guest moderator this evening, BBC Radio 1 and 6 Music's Edith Bowman. Wow. What an audience. Amazing. Thank you all so much for coming down this evening. Um, this is an incredible film. I was lucky enough to see it um, uh, a good few weeks ago, uh, and I've, I've had the opportunity to chat to the two gentlemen who are going to come on stage very shortly about this film already. There is so much to ask them about this film, so much commitment from them both to this film and these roles. Um, so I'm going to start off by, by getting some questions to them, show you guys some clips of the film, uh, and then I shall open it up to you to ask a few questions. So don't leave it till the end because we are limited on time tonight. If you have something pressed and you want to ask either of them, get your hand up straight away and get in there with a the question. Don't leave it to the last minute when I go, last question. And 40 people put their hands up. So get in there first, uh, straight away. Uh, before we welcome on that, let's take a look at what all this incredible um, recognition is all about. The film's out on the 7th of February. This is the brilliant Dallas Buyers Club. Mr. Woodruff, you've tested positive for HIV. Have you ever engaged in homosexual conduct? Homo, homo. Did you say homo? You made a mistake. We estimate you have 30 days left. Ain't nothing out there can kill Ron or Woodruff in 30 days. Them drugs. I need it. It doesn't work that way, Mr. Woodruff. Where are you going? They got good meds out of Mexico that's better than what you can get here in the States. And you can't buy this in the USA? Not approved. You could be making a fortune off of this. That importing illegal drugs for sale is a very serious offense. Anything to declare? Nada. They're not illegal. They're merely unapproved. I've been looking for you, Lone Star. You treating these people? Oh, they're treating themselves. Well, I ain't selling drugs. I'm selling memberships. Welcome to the Dallas Buyers Club. These are patients? Yes, sir. They're also the names of players on the Dallas Cowboys. Where's the hell of a voice, guys? What the hell is it? I have a court order permitting us to confiscate any and all non-FDA-approved supplements. We need a new supply. Check Amsterdam, Ghana, and Israel. We can do business with you. Why are we here? Nice restaurant, beautiful woman. That's where I feel like a human again. You look great. Honestly, I look amazing. Mr. Woodruff, you're nothing more than a common drug dealer. People are dying. Please welcome to the stage multiple award-winning, Oscar-nominated Jared Leto and Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Make yourself comfortable, please. I mean, we've got to stay by saying congratulations, A, on, the, on this incredible film, on these, these performances, and, and quite rightly so, the recognition that you guys have, have received for this film so far. Um, so much commitment. It seems there is so much commitment to this film and these characters from you both. Would you say it's maybe the most commitment you've, you've, you've given to a role or a film? And it was required, I, I imagine, as well. I'd say, yeah, there was more that to clearly commit to with this role, mm. mind, body, and soul-wise. I mean, you know, 
from the losing weight, that was not an, an eccentric idea. That was something that was needed to do to be responsible to the character, to who this guy was. I, I surrounded myself with researching this guy, Ron Woodruff, and his story for six months, you know, five hours a day, and I never had a complacent moment. I mean, if we wouldn't have made the film for another year, I, was, I would, could have still filled that year with figuring out how to get inside this guy. So, yeah. What was it about Ron that, that, that made you, that, that hooked you in, that, that got you, that made you want to, yeah. you know, interpret him? The, the anarchic way with, it, with which he went about surviving. Um, it was never a sentimental tale. It was never a, uh, um, you know, it wasn't the typical way to, to, to take on this, this subject matter. I mean, this guy was basically a dealer. He's a black market drug dealer, but he happened to be dealing drugs and, and vitamins that were unapproved that were helping keep people alive. Mm. Um, so there was a real pirate who was leading us through this very heartfelt story, and I found that very original. Um, Jared, Rayon is a she's she's a fictional character within this world that you know is based on, re on real events. Does that make it easier for you to create her, or you know would it would there been would it been easier if she was real if she had been real? I mean, I, you know, she is real in a in a lot of ways, but. And I think they're both interesting things to do: a play a, a person who actually existed and also dream someone to life. Uh, I felt pretty lucky in this uh, film to be able to create Rayon uh, and not have some of the limitations that can come along. When you play a real person, you can become obsessed with uh, uh, some of the nuances, some of the details. Did you have any idea, you know, whilst you were making this, in what, 25 days it took to make this film? That's, that's incredible, that, that it was going to have this reaction, that it was going to you know, touch people, affect people, make people pay attention yeah. the way that it has. Was there an indication that that know. was going to happen? I mean, look, I remember when I first read the script, uh, this kind of role, this kind of story doesn't come along that often. And if they do, nobody wants to make them, which was our case as well. Nobody wanted to make this. Or people tried to get it made for 20 years unsuccessfully. 137 times it was rejected. Um, wow. But I remember it, it, you know, it was clear when I read it, boy, this has potential to be something of import and entertainment. Um, and then when we were making it, I definitely felt like we were, we were cutting our teeth on the truth. Mm. Now, that's still no guarantee that we're going to put together a good film, especially making it that fast in 25 days. Um, but then after I saw the first cut that Jean-Marc sent out, I was pretty excited about what we had. Mm. Um, in terms of, of, of you guys, the, the on-screen on chemistry that's, that's there and the, the journey that your relationship takes throughout the film as well, um, George, you, you, Rayon was, was there for the whole 25 days. You were Rayon for those 25 days. Is that, is, that, is that right? That's right. There was no Jared in those 25 days at all. Well, I mean, there was always... Uh, you can't be who you're not, I suppose. Um, but it was an immersive experience. It was a transformative role. I did basically what I had to do in order to deliver the best performance possible. So I just stayed as focused as I could be, as committed as I could be. Uh, and and I wanted to contribute in a, in a really meaningful way. And, you know, Matthew had made an incredible commitment for this film. So I was uh, happy to do my best to try to meet him halfway mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, and participate and be part of the team. So that's what I did. Oh, Teamwork, oh. my friends. Teamwork. <laughs> and what is that you like understand? For, for you, Matthew? You know, you're... He, He's in character the whole time. I imagine you can't discuss scenes between takes, that kind of thing, or what's no, that? Not really, but it, but it, you know, 
as eccentric as it may sound, it's not. It was, everything he just said, it was about what he had to do to focus to play his role, play his part. He was fully committed. That makes it very simple to work with. I mean, quite literally, there's one less person in the room. <laughs> and I was meeting Rayon every single day. I met Jared when we were done filming. I went up and said, hey, Matthew, shook his hand. He said, I'm Jared. His voice <laughs> dropped down two octaves, and that was it. But let me say this. Neither one of us were interested, <laughs> nor did we have time to discuss what the hell we did last weekend <laughs> or what we had for dinner or, who's, you know, any kind of sports, music, anything else. It was just one that wasn't time to. What we didn't have for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> yeah, what did you not eat <laughs> last night? Again. <laughs> we didn't have time, nor were we interested. Yeah. Um, so it, it actually makes it very simple. Now, look, there, there, there are actors who can um, take a tact like Jared chose to, and they can bring many other things that sort of get in the way of the filmmaking process. That's not what Jared did. He made it very, very simple. Um, he, nothing he did got in the way. It actually helped create the scene. So it was, it was very simple. Yeah. Um, can we talk a little bit about Jennifer Garner? Because yeah. we, you know, within the film, you both have a, a relationship. Has anyone seen the film here? How did you see kind the of. movie? Yeah. You sneaky bastards. We don't need to know that right now. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Um, Going to hell. What did, what did she bring bring to the film for you? Yeah, it you know the, she Jennifer Garner has a very tough role in this because she has to walk the tightrope. She's the sober one, <laughs> so to speak, uh, between myself, Ron, and his Rayon, and she has that tough role to where she's you know she's a nurse, she's brought up in the establishment, and and, and here comes this epidemic that nobody knew how to treat, mm -hmm. and here's this guy Ron Woodruff coming up with his, with his own research. It seems to be working, but nobody wants to listen to. She brought, a, you know, with Jennifer, you know she gives a damn. You know she cares. Um, and there's a sincerity that she brings and almost a, a search for the common sense of the scenario that she brings especially well that, that made her right for this part. It really needed a certain simple humanity mm. that she's able to bring. Well, we're going to see a clip right now. This is uh, when she kind of discovers what's going on secretly with you guys. Here we go. What are you doing here? Well, I live here. Where's Rayon? Your roommates? Uh, not exactly. What are you doing here? Roger Thompson. This is my patient. You treating these people? Oh, they're treating themselves. With what? Vitamins, peptide T, DDC, anything but that poison you're hawking. So you ever wear any color? Seems like every time I see you, all I see is white. Got white coat, white shoes, white. Tell Rayon I was looking for him. And I, I am telling my patients to stay away from here. Why? Excuse me. So you want to go grab steak sometime? I know it's red. That kind of leads me on to another question, which is a, a, another thing that I think is is brilliant about the film, and is the humor. Yeah. Which you wouldn't instantly expect there no. to be in in a, in a film of this subject matter no it's very anarchic <laughs> you know as i said earlier about this guy being a pirate you know this the subject matter we knew had heart and was important at the same time that didn't mean it it didn't need to be entertaining and the humor is here it's blasphemous um it's shocking um but jean marc the director did a really delicate job in quite a few scenes that 
could have been overly heavy-handed, could have been hugely sentimental, and still been true, but he did a great job of balancing the, the heart in this film with this blasphemous humor that it is a wild ride. It's a highly entertaining film. Now, we knew going into it, if you, hear the, if you, if you read the one-liner on it, you know you're going to go see something that's probably good for you, something that you ought to see, something that's a bit of a history lesson you're going to get a message from, but there's no guarantee, especially with the $4.9 million independent film, that you're going to go be entertained. And I think we pulled that off. And it was there to pull off, but I think we did pull it off. This is another great little scene. Uh, this one involves the, the Dallas Cowboys. Walker, Dorsett, Blunt, Newsom, Jeff Coat. These are patients? Yes, sir. They're also the names of players on the Dallas Cowboys. No. That's a hell of a coincidence, isn't it? Isn't this a little ridiculous? Well, he said it. Can you prove these are patients? Can you prove they're not? Hmm. Um, how much? How much did you stick by script? Was it? You know, was it? Was there much room? Was there much need for? There was, I mean, I know I came in with, with four or five variations on each scene. We did do variations. I mean, everything I, any improv improvisation I had came from the source material that Craig and Melissa wrote, and then on my own research of his transcripts and diaries and stuff, where I would bring up, oh, this was his, another version, another truth on his take of his belief in God or disbelief in God. Another take on his, you know, he had 20 conspiracy theories about the FDA. And so I would try to bring a few of those. And they were all from his mouth, though. Jared, this next clip is, has you in it, just to... Well, we it can has, skip it has this one, on can't we? No, we can't. Because I, mean, I want to... Oh, well, if you can remember this... Why so many clips? They haven't seen the one film more, yet. Why would you want to ruin more? the movie? It's not ruining You want to see Ray on, Yeah, though, come on. We, we have to see one clip of the way on. You know... We're not listening to you, and we're would not... Would you rather <laughs> have one donut today or six tomorrow? <laughs> Um, no. This is a scene with you and Jennifer, and I mean, I get that this feels like a conversation. This doesn't feel like a script. This feels like mm. a, a, an, an intimate moment between two people yeah. who care about each other. Um, was was this? Did you improvise with this script? This this scene we're about to see. I mean, tell me after we watch. Well, we'll watch it. You close your eyes and your ears, and you can. Okay. Tell me after. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is Rayon and Eve. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Do you like this dress? Because I think the neckline's a little plunging. Rayon, the whole purpose of this study is to determine if ACT is helping people. Come on, Amy, you know there ain't no helping me. That doesn't mean I'm going to stop trying. Why are you so good to me? Bless your little heart. Just promise me you'll show up for the rest of the trial. I promise you that I will try my very best. I want you to mean it. What, what were you humming whilst we were playing? <laughs> All along it was a fever. <laughs> I was singing. Um, yeah. Much improvisation in that scene, or it felt, uh, felt like such a natural conversation. I, I did, that was the scene with me and her in the hospital. Yeah, asking, uh, do, you like, do you like this? No, I mean they wrote a great script. So um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I wrote the script of the scenes. There, there's always, you know, I think, and uh, it's very common in films for there 
to be spontaneous moments where you come up with something. Uh, you know, I know in the film when I, s I say, I don't want to die, that was something that just came out. If that was scripted, it probably would have seemed too obvious. I would have obsessed on how to say such a corny, obvious thing. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, nobody wants to die. Uh, but it, it kind of burst out, and it, it I guess it worked because it's in the film, right? People have commented. Yeah, it's in the film. So that was improvised. Um, but great things can come. You guys see Wolf of Wall Street? Yes. Damn good movie, right? Yeah. That was improvised, the thing he did. Uh, I yeah, love yeah, the story yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Is that it, basically? Dude, you got it. I love that story. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's incredible. We'll, move on. We'll, we'll leave that. It's How great was he in that film? <laughs> badass. <laughs> Can I, wh why, won't, why haven't you watched it? You know, I haven't watched it for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, it's never going to live up to my expectations now after all of the love and support that it's gotten. I mean, maybe that's number three. But number one is, uh, you know, I see myself on film all the time. I edit myself on film all the time, whether it's in a documentary or a Mr. Bartholomew Cubbins film. Uh, so I, I know I'm familiar with the process, and I can get over the self-consciousness of it. But if I don't have any control or con contribution during that process, I really don't want to be a part of it. Uh, you know, there's no point. Number two, I read the script. I know what happens. I was there on the day. Uh, and I don't really need that part of the process in order to feel fulfilled. Uh, you know, I feel rather fulfilled as it is. So, you know, maybe one day I'll watch it. You really should. It's pretty I've good. I've seen a couple of the films. I saw Requiem for a Dream. Uh, you know, it was at Cannes, and we were walking down the red carpet. I wasn't going to do it, and Darren literally, like, grabbed my arm and dragged me into the theater. He said, you've got to watch the film. And I, I got caught up on it. Like you said, when you watched the film, you were able to kind of let go of your participation and get involved with the characters. Mm -hmm. And that could happen here. But I just, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm, I don't need to do it right now. It'll be around. Yeah. It's available on iTunes very soon, <laughs> I'm sure. And um, we're going to get some questions from our audience, our very large audience. Uh, we have some microphones rolling around. So Are um, there any 30 Seconds to Mars uh, family here today? Yeah. I got the feeling that there may be. Hi, what's your name? Uh, what's your question? Do you know her? Yeah, of course. Okay. I know all these people. Okay. What's your question? Make it a good one. Um, my name's Hibak. Hibs. Uh, I have a question for Jared, basically. Go, go on then. <laughs> um, if you had the choice to either play Ron or Rayon, would you have still played Rayon in the end? Ooh, what an interesting question. Yeah, my friend uh, Emily wanted to ask you that, but she can't be here. Well, oh. she's obviously seeing her therapist or something, right? <laughs> um, no, I mean, there's no one on the earth that could have played Ron except for Matthew McConaughey. I mean, obviously, he was able to deliver something. I could have never have played that part. I would have failed so miserably at even attempting to play that. I, don't, I wouldn't have understood that. I wouldn't have been able to fight for what was needed there. You know, I mean, he produced the film as well. You know, he was there fighting every single second to get the film made for years. Uh, and then creatively, I don't, I don't have what he has, you know. He's a phenomenal actor. And uh, I, I was meant to play this part, you know, and contribute and support him in the film. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Um, Matthew, I read that you'd said that you were riding a new way of making a film with this. Is that right? I was what? You were riding a new way of making a film with this. I remember, I remember 
writing down many times. I keep a journal during filming. I remember writing down, boy, is this a new way of filmmaking? And in some ways it is. The fact that we had no lights. There's more light, many more lights here than we had on the set. The fact that we shot it in 25 days, there was one camera. Many times in the scene, it would be the actors, the uh, script supervisor, the DP, and the director, and that was it. And you shoot a scene enter entering the building, and then you come in, look around, and walk out, and there, were never, there was never a cut. They would just run around to shoot the other side. Uh, so I think the, the, how rapid and how li alive it felt. That's when I started writing a press record, press record. Don't show up to talk about what the scene's about. Show me yeah. what it is. Don't show up to discuss... Um, what does this scene today mean? Be ready and just and, and do it. Perform it. Um, don't talk about it. Sounds like you liked that experience. I did like that experience a lot. It doesn't work if you're not prepared going into it, though, because there's no time to figure out, are we getting the story shot? Yeah. You know, And a lot of work went into pre-production. I know I was personally on the phone with Jean-Marc Knightley for hours going through, okay, we've got everything lined up. If we shoot what we have here, are we going to have a full fledged, fully realized story. And we hoped we were because there was no time to check it out and be considerate mm. on the day. Did your opinion of Ron change from going into making the film to finishing it? No. No. I'm, I'm happy to say I felt like I was doing my best to see Ron from the inside out about 10 days before we started shooting. Right. Okay, more questions. Hands up. Lady in the front. Actually, can we do the gentleman at the... Oh, oh, go on then. Go, on, go, on, go, go there. Go, go, go. Sorry. And we'll do the gentleman at the end after that lady. Hi. Hello. Um, my question is, what would your dream role be if you could play anybody, either a fictional character or portrayal of a real-life person? Who would you be? Wow. Well, last time oh I was on the God. stage, what... what, what um, yeah, because last week... He said... Uh, um, oh, man. He's a Genghis Khan, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trish is Channing Tatum. Channing when we Tatum. Did, uh, the we, same we question came up. Magic Mike. I was going to say Margaret Thatcher, but... <laughs> that's it. Wow. That's, that's it. been taken. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey. Not if you haven't seen it. You could do no, your version No, I, I could do my version of a comedy. That I would... A, I would, a musical. I musical say. version of Margaret Thatcher. A musical Thatcher. version of Margaret Thatcher. You know what we could do is um, Siegfried and Roy. <laughs> now you're talking. You and me? Now David Venture directing? <laughs> yes. Nice way to plant that seed. This could become real. <laughs> who's Siegfried and who's Roy? <laughs> we'll figure I'll it out. I'll play the tiger. And <laughs> <laughs> um, gentleman at the end, please got a question. I think. Yeah, that's correct. So the gentleman at the end is Good just one. deaf, and there oh, was a sign language interpreter just at the end. Hello. Yeah. Hello. What? <laughs> the gentleman at the end is deaf, and we have a sign. Uh, lady's going to sign the question for us oh, at, sign the, at the, the end. Yeah. I couldn't understand. Well, he's actually written it out. So would Amazing. you like it on stage? Uh, yeah. yeah. Why not? Go on. Um, hi, Matthew. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that you will get the Oscars Best Actor at the Academy Awards. We are told that the voters vote and the winner is the one with the most votes, but I cannot help thinking there is more to this than we are told. I always find it odd that the films nominated are only released a few months before the awards ceremony and those released from March onward the year before receive little attention. Do you think it is so that the films which are reckoned to have better chances are released sooner to the date of the Oscars so they are more present in people's minds? What do you think? Is it deliberate or a matter of cho chance? Uh, there's definite deliberation to that. Um, you know, they, they film. There's an award season, and in films and scripts that are going to be made, people before they make them, 
have release dates of like, okay, we think if they pull this off, if this film really works, it's going to be usually a drama, and we need to release that in the fall. That is our award season. That is when a studio or distributor will get behind and say, we're also going to set a, a campaign plan. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna find a way to, you know, it, it's, a, it's a deliberate plan with how to release a film with the ideas of award season. Very seldom, it's happened a little recently, that you'll get a film that comes out in the spring, that lives and rears its head and reemerges in the fall, and that's planned as well. Everyone knows that if you don't, if a film comes out in March, and and, and you think it's worthy of being around an award season, there's a whole distribution plan about how to reintroduce that film, not only to people but to Hollywood, to the Academy, to voters at that time to get it, have it, so it can have a presence in award season. But very seldom does a film that came out early in the year show up and really, really emerge that late. And that's, that's partially by design. Okay. Great question. Thank you. Okay, we have time for two more questions. Front row, Team Rayon, a T-shirt. She deserves a, a question. Go. Oh, excuse me, I'm shaking. I have a question for both of you. Is that all right? Go. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for Matthew, first of all, first of all, I love Dazed and Confused. Go on, say it, please. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I love Days Confused too. I loved your Golden Ghost speech as well, by the way. Thank you. Question? Question? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you have to say about the power and the influence the film industry has on today's society? Do you think filmmakers almost have as more power than politicians? Oh, that's, a, that's a doozy. <laughs> a doozy? Why don't you try to make a short answer? Um, I mean, the... the the reciprocity of what happens between life and art and the exchange there and what influences each is, is pretty fascinating. I mean, I definitely think art can, uh, well done, can put ideas into our consciousness that all of a sudden we find something more acceptable that maybe we didn't before. All of a sudden, uh, um, you know, things come to the forefront. And if, they're, if, they, if they do translate, and basically at the end of the day, when I mean translate, they communicate with a large part of the masses and it makes sense and all of a sudden people talk about it it just usually taps into something that either we didn't know that now we learned or something we forgot um so i definitely think there's i know there's a a dance there between art and and life now where that line meets and where it, it doesn't meet is blurrier today probably than, than ever before um but thing. definitely it can happen sure it does happen yeah it's a good thing so and my question and for last Jared. question then for Jared. It, at the end of all this what do you Believed. What do you want to look back and say that was my greatest achievement? Well, I hope to never look back. Uh, yeah. Sure. Thank you. Did you bring your mum? Just the three of us. Um, no, I hope to never look back. I don't. I don't really care so much about that sort of thing, legacy or whatever I want to leave behind. I don't really think of that. Uh, it's good to be here now and to live dreams now and to share the dreams with, with all of you. Um, I can't say how I, I love the film any more than I already have. It's incredible. It's a brilliant piece of, of filmmaking. It's a great story, fantastic performances, and I really wish you continued success with the awards season. Thank you guys for coming and for your questions tonight. 7th of February for those guys Bye who haven't Ivy. seen it yet. Bye, Ivy. Go see Thank the you. movie.